Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode. I am Deepa, your host for today's episode. All organizations define a learning and development strategy to help their employees build the right skills and shape their thinking. This in turn influences and builds the right culture for the organization. In this era of digital revolution, helping employees reskill is critical to adapt to the ever-changing business landscape and its many uncertainties. How do organizations define their learning and development or L&D strategy? What are the different roles involved in making this strategy successful? What does it take to be successful in these roles? We talk about this with Gautam Goenka. Gautam is a global leadership development manager at GE Healthcare. He has over two decades of experience in the industry and has worked with multiple organizations like Shell, Baker Hughes and GE. He is also the chairman of Dubai's largest and most active community theater group, H72 Productions. Personally, I have been part of learning sessions that Gautam has facilitated. I have enjoyed and learned a ton from his sessions. Hey Gautam, so happy to have you today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> All right. You know, I always like to start my conversations this way. Let's go back in time to when you completed your graduation and you were just starting out on your career journey. So what were your thoughts at that time, your expectations? Actually, I started off with no expectations or with any sort of plan in mind. So I typically grew up in a Marwadi business household where none of my cousins, my siblings, my older sister, nobody had gone out to work. They joined the family business or started up their own businesses. And having lived out here, suddenly I found this prospect of, hey, I could be joining a company to work. Yeah, but it's for a few years. So let's just do this. Those few years have now lasted almost close to 20 years. So <laughs> yeah, if I go back in time at that point, I was not even plan looking at it beyond a year or two. That's really interesting. So what was your first role like? So my first role, I was a graduate of BBA marketing. So I wanted to get into the marketing space. And my first role was recruitment marketing. So back in the day, this entire trend of, hey, we must sell the company to top talent. Because as we know, top talent can go anywhere, right? If they're top talent, enough people are looking for them. Enough companies are in this war for talent. So my job was in a was, was marketing the organization as a whole. I used to work for Shell the oil company, and it was marketing Shell to the top talent to get them to think about a career in oil and gas. And I was part of a team, which I kid you not, was called the attraction team. Job <laughs> was to attract talent <laughs> to join Shell for a career. Oh, nice. I can't get over the name though, Gautam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we, we did everything from a marketing perspective, function like an agency. So it was about the creatives we made. It was about dealing with agencies like JWT, dealing with media buying agencies like Mediacom, buying ad space, figuring out what our advertising strategy, marketing strategy was going to be. And then also executing it at the ground level for the graduates, being in universities, the top universities, what sort of events we would do that would make people think of, hey, that's a company I want to work for. 
Oh, that's so cool. So with all of this, how did you get into learning and development in the first place? So, you know, it was a very funny story. I, I went through that marketing role and then found myself in the space of recruitment because I started enjoying the interactions that I was having with people. And from there, when I joined GE, I was the regional head of recruitment for the healthcare business. This was about 12, 15 years ago. And essentially at that point, I... I was attending a learning and development course and as the enthusiastic front bench raising my hand at every question and saying, I know the answer, the kind of person that I am, <laughs> the, the facilitator in the meeting. And I still remember one of my mentors in learning and development, William Miller, kind of asked me to stay back. And he said, look, can you stay back after class? I want to talk to you. And I went, oh, I've overdone it. He's <laughs> going to tell me, you know, next time, give other people a chance, you know, relax a little and contrary to all that, he sat me down and he kind of went, have you thought about a career in learning and development? Uh, you know, you express and communicate in a way that is very interesting. Your ability to simplify a complex topic is, is something I like. So why aren't you thinking of becoming a facilitator, a trainer, being up here in front of people? And till then, I would really not thought of that as a career. And that particular conversation led me to think about it and one thing led to another and I he kind of took me under his wing started training me up it kind of helped at that point that he was also the the person who was deciding who the trainers would be for the GE group he was sort of the faculty excellence head so looking for new faculty and I at about another three four years from that conversation was when I made my full-time move into learning and development that's super interesting. So I think this will be the right time to ask you this question. So can you explain a bit more about what does the learning and development section do? How, what kind of role it plays in an organization? Sure. So look, every every part of the organization will tell you that it is the lifeblood that exists in the organization. Learning and development is the sort of area that actually keeps an organization sharp, relevant, and true to its culture. So what L&D does is it sets out the strategy to build the capabilities of the existing workforce in any organization. And not just the capabilities, we also would say competencies and skills of the organization. It kind of brings alive the culture of the organization and ensures that the organization has a sustainable future from a talent perspective. So it develops the talent and then ensures that that talent is relevant both internally and in the marketplace. Wow, that's quite a bit. So maybe can you take an example and maybe in an industry and walk us through some of the things that it does? Sure. Let, let, let's take, you know, I won't go into any particular industry, but let's talk about leadership, an area that I focus on mm -hmm. and the way teams and people were led in the past and the way people are led today is very different. There are cultural differences, of course, around the world. There are generational differences between different workforce age groups. There is also an evolution of the way people are managed. I still remember when I first walked into Crotonville, which was GE's learning and development um, sort of university, if you must, in upstate of New York. We came across these old books, which was, you know, how learning and development was looked at back in the 1950s. And I was told, again, so I was not around back then, but I was told that when people came to learn, they were given these books and they were given seven to 10 days to just read these books. And once they read them, they knew how to manage people. And it literally was a book that was published by us, where on the first page, there was a letter from the CEO, because remember, this is pre 
communication through internet and computers and everything. There was a letter on the first page and the letter literally started with to the men of General Electric. <laughs> so at that point, they weren't even thinking that women could be leaders, right? And the way they taught learning and the way they taught leadership was read this book and you're good to go. You, you've learned. Maybe give an exam or a test and you're good to go. That has evolved so much over the last few decades and years, as you see, where leadership first then became authoritative and almost autocratic. I'm the boss. I take the decision. You work for me. Just do what I'm saying that you need to do. To being more inclusive, to almost empathetic. And then there are concepts of even servant leadership that are out there right now, right? Where mm -hmm. I am here to serve my, my people. So that evolution and shift that comes about in this thought process comes from your learning and development team. So I, I hope that explains the example. <laughs> yes, yes, that does explain it. And by any chance, do you have that book, Gautam? <laughs> <laughs> it was an antique piece. So it, no, I don't. Uh, but I do have a couple of pictures of that book. I, uh, I can definitely find those because I did take some pictures with my phone. But it was kept as an antique piece. It almost uh, from a bygone era and a forgotten time, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> All right. See, one of the things that's critical in what you spoke about right now is how the organization strategy is changing and how the L&D strategy also changes. Correct? Correct. And can you talk a little bit more about the different aspects in which they influence each other? Well, look, you heard of the old saying by the management guru, Peter Drucker, right? He culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? We've learned that in business school, we've, we've heard it, but it's so true. So if, if the strategy piece out there for the organization is existing, what learning and development does is really work on that execution of that strategy through influencing the culture of the organization. So a company can have some excellent strategies of what it wants to do, but if the culture does not fit, it's not going to work. And so the L&D works hand in hand, both on that strategy piece and the execution of it. So we can't really go and make the sale of turbines. Like I'm not the guy who's going to go make the sale of the turbines. That's still going to be the individual we've hired. I'm not the one who's going out and selling that MRI machine. There's going to be somebody who's already doing that. But the culture with which we lead our teams, the culture with which we deal with customers, the culture with which we come across affects multiple sides of the overall company strategy of how we come across which companies want to do work with us and how we strategically achieve what we set out to achieve. It is the how to execute. So if strategy is the what to execute, the L&D piece almost affects the how do we do this now. And see, if you take any organization, typically we have something called as training, correct? Yes. <laughs> Where you go through all the technical skills that are needed yeah. for you in the role and what you do in L&D. You did describe the how aspect of it, but can correct. you also go a little deeper on how you will distinguish some of the training related yeah. actions that organizations take and this? So so look, within learning and development, there's multiple ways of focusing on it. And different organizations look at L&D or training, which they call it in different ways. I understand that from a cultural perspective, that training could be used in various organizations. There is definitely, as you mentioned, there is an element of technical training. So there is an element of how do we use this piece of equipment, machinery, safely operate it. 
and that not that's not just internal to our employees but it's also to our customers who we end up selling these pieces of equipment to so there is that technical element there is some very other key technical elements also like in functional areas such as how do we do accounting right what are the mm-hmm. gap practices generally accepted account accounting practices that we implement right what as a us based company what is it that we need to do so there is that form of functional skill training being again an american company from an hr perspective what do we need to follow from a bias how about this from a recruitment perspective that is avoiding any form of bias or discrimination so again that comes into functional learning so this technical on the equipment on the actual you know products that we supply there is Uh, functional on certain functions how do you execute this function so you know with an xyz function how do they function and then there is what other organizations will club up and and kind of piece together into what they'd call soft skills mm-hmm. right and i'm not a big fan of that word either because those are not soft skills they're extremely extremely critical skills ones that determine success or failure of an individual in an organization so you know things such as communication skills at a more junior level communication skills presentation skills negotiation influencing those sort of things and then at a much higher level there are leadership related skills right so organizations will put people through if you're considered something called a high potential talent organizations might put you through certain programs we have that at the graduate and intake level we also have that within organizations so you know i used to be part of png and png had certain programs for its top finance talent for its top commercial and sales talent similarly ge has it similarly other organizations have it you know what sort of talent they're putting it through so there are programs that actually come out there are set learning courses that people can sign up to open enrollment courses if you meet certain criteria or by invitation for certain people and then the a completely separate areas in learning and development is something we call interventions business interventions this is where we'd sit down with a team who would tell us hey gotham this is a problem that i'm facing with my existing team what's the solution so it's almost a tailor made bespoke solution for a particular team as an intervention for that team so there's multiple little little areas within learning and development as well it's not just boom this is we did one course So that's it. <laughs> See, in many of these aspects, how does the learning and development org measure its effectiveness, or how do you know you have trained well or taught people well? Yeah, <laughs> that's a uh, very that's complex the, thing. <laughs> it is. It is the holy grail of learning and development. This uh, since I've been in the learning and development field, and uh, since I've read about it as well. it's 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 the it's the key question right how do we tie this back to a particular course an intervention something we did that helped the person understand and very frankly speaking we you know we'll do engagement surveys post course engagement surveys we will do you know individual feedback sessions we will do qualitative and quantitative kind of feedbacks we can go back and talk to managers we can have 3 6 9 month plans and go back and check what they're doing but frankly it's extremely difficult to say that you were particularly successful in this particular deal because of something you learned in the classroom there <laughs> because it doesn't work that way yes, right doesn't. in all yeah uh, so we are in a amalgamation of what we learned in theory in school in high school in in reading in environments and then our experiences right what experiences we have also shape us so both of these together somehow determine success 
our job is to provide the right experiences for people that they can learn not just from the facilitator in front of the classroom, but also from each other. So, you know, you'll notice every time I start a classroom, I never say there's one facilitator and I'm it. I say, I am one of the facilitators, but we have, if there are 20 people in the classroom, I'll say there are 20 facilitators in the classroom because we learn from each other as well. So very openly, we learn from other people who are in the room with more experience, with less experience, with different kinds of experience. Today, if you go to a MBA for an MBA degree, essentially some of the best universities in the world, you know, you take Harvard Business School, these, these guys will ask you for a range of experience. They will sometimes tell you, we will not accept you into the program if you don't have a minimum of seven to eight years of experience. At minimum, we will not ex accept you or we will take the one-off person because they want that bell curve distribution in the classroom, right? They want people who've got experiences of life and it's not a lot of theory. It's theory clubbed up with experience and we then kind of bring it out. So it gets tough to kind of go back and measure and say that particular classroom, you know, when Deepa made that comment, that's what helped me. It's tough. It's even tough for me to kind of go back and pinpoint it. So the way we look at success, the way I measure success is when I meet participants, you know, sometimes months or sometimes years later from the experience and they come up and tell me, hey, you know, I implemented some of the stuff you showed me that really helped me in X, Y, Z areas. That for me is success. Or if managers come back and say, hey, listen, my employee kind of turned around, post that course because they went and did something, post that course, that. That to me is success. The rest is, look, we've got to measure numbers, right? My <laughs> boss would, wants, wants his numbers. He wants to know, hey, this course was, success rate was, or NPS score was above 9 out of 10, or whatever that is. <laughs> no, no, I get it. See, there are so many different aspects that go into designing a course. So I think let's yeah. talk about the different roles in LND. I'm sure it's not just one person, the facilitator. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and, and look, I, I think it's important to know that depending on the size of an organization, depending on its investment into learning and development, how much it values it, you can have a very small learning and development team you can have a full enterprise-wide learning and development team. GE is seen a little bit of both, uh, though we've been more of the enterprise-wide solution. But what are the kind of roles that you could expect? And I'll give you some rough ideas. Again, each team kind of, and each organization kind of does its own. So of course, right on top, you've got either the chief learning officer, if it's, if it's that encompassing a role, or what you can call the head of the director of learning and development. So sort of the person right on top. This individual's role is to kind of set the strategy, the direction for learning and development. They're working hand in hand with the EO, the CHRO, that C-suite level folks, also business leaders. They're working with the C-suite level folks to actually set the strategy and the direction for learning and development, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of discussion because if you're setting a five-year direction, a 10-year direction, what's the culture of this organization got to be? Right? Is that the culture that the CEO wants to set? Is that the culture the board wants to set? What is the culture of this organization? How are we going to implement this culture? Um, so that is the head of learning, the kind of strategy person. Then depending again on the size of an organization, you might have an L&D manager or a regional L&D manager or a, a L&D business partner. The job of these guys is to really take that already set strategy and direction and turn it into tangible execution within their region or coverage area. 
Now your coverage could be again a matrix organization. Your coverage could be regional. It could be business. So we kind of attack it at least at GE from both angles. People have regional business coverage, and then they have they have region coverage, and then they have business coverage. So again, we don't lose anybody in that. So then there is a lot of speaking with HR partners, speaking with regional business leaders, and then providing both off the shelf solutions, so already ready in place design solutions, or interventions, bespoke kind of solutions. There's where the role of an instructional designer comes in. So you could be an instructional designer whereby your job is to design a learning and development course. These are people who sometimes will come with instructional design degrees, backgrounds, and sometimes they will be folks who through experience and stuff have learned how to design a course. These days, there's a lot of folks who have proper sort of human psychology adult learning kind of degrees or instructional design degrees that help them design courses. Others, you know, again, depending on the organization, others do it fairly intuitively or through experience. But their job is to design. So they will take the overall, here's what we want to achieve. So if you take a course, you know, like, like let's talk about a course on communication skills, mm -hmm. right? So a client will come and say, I want to design a course on communication skills. When that initial conversation between the manager and the client is over, Instructional designers will come in and say, okay, we got more, more pointed questions. So they'll go into more details, flesh out what's really required, and then start putting that into some form of design. So, you know, courses don't have to be just be throwing information. You know, we're just one way speaking. There's a lot of pulling of information. There's a lot of drawing from experiences. There are a lot of activities that need to be designed. They can't be repetitive in nature. You know, there's a lot of, there's room for, for, for the facilitator to be flexible, but there's got to be some form of over these three days, here's what we'll cover. Or over this one hour, here's what we'll cover. So that's where the instructional designer comes in. Finally, there's somebody called a facilitator. That's the kind of role that I've done in the past, where the facilitator role is to actually take that design if it's an off-the-shelf solution or if it's a bespoke one as well and then to actually go ahead and execute that whether it's face-to-face -face or nowadays whether it's online and to actually roll out the course in this they're supported by someone or a group of people either called learning administrators or admin that actually ensure everything around that learning course is going fine so if it's face-to-face, -face, you know, the rooms are booked, the hotel is booked, the food is in place, the people's, you know, uh, have been charged the right amounts for the course, the registered participants have the invites, they're turning up, pre-work is done, all of this wonderful stuff. So those are some of the key roles in learning and development. Wow. So when you were talking about these instructional designers or you yourself when you're delivering a course, right? Yeah. How much of expertise do you build over the content itself? Like how much should you know so that you can convince the people yeah. who are in the class that they can learn the subject, right? So look, yeah, as a facilitator, it's important that you you definitely have some form of subject matter expertise. So you really don't want to learn how to fix a jet engine <laughs> from me ever. <laughs> But you need to have some subject matter expertise. So it's critical that the facilitator has credibility and subject matter expertise. Good organizations, uh, good learning and development teams will involve facilitators appropriately in the design of the course. 
So, you know, what I found in my experience is my instructional designers will take that first stab at the course and then come to a facilitator and say, hey, listen, you're the one who's going to deliver this in the classroom. What do you think? And then kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit, maybe amend a few things. So absolutely the facilitator's role in understanding the subject for sure is, is but again, gone are the days where the facilitator has to be the smartest person in the room. I think that's a thing of the past. That is not to say that you can be the weakest person in the room on the subject. So absolutely not. You, you need to be somewhere in that front of the classroom that you have a good fair amount of expertise. But you have to be flexible enough to say, hey, there are people in the classroom who, who may have more expertise than I have in a certain subject. And we'll, we'll, we'll leverage that where we can. A good facilitator, you know, it comes from the Latin word. Facilitator comes from the Latin word, facile, which means to make easy. The job of the facilitator is to make it easy. Whether they do it, whether they get it from the participants, whether they use tools, but they make things easy. See, I know you are focused on the leadership angle and there are many sessions that you take for the exam kind of group as well, correct? correct? So how do you prepare for your courses that you deliver? So, look, I definitely will spend time to understand the content well, but I also understand that as you go up the chain, theory is one thing. It is about, at least in my view, right? This is my personal experience. It is about the conversations and the experiences that people have in that room. And so I am a facilitator that, yes, I will, of course, look at where does this classroom have to go. So I know the rough direction, but Personally, I will flex when I need to. So I'm flexible enough that I will change the direction on the spot and, and experienced enough that I can change the direction on the spot to help the classroom. If it's helping, if I'm seeing that's helping the classroom more, I'll spend a little more time on a particular area as opposed to others. Uh, as Like I said, as you go up the chain, it's less about theory. It's more about bringing in relevant real-world examples. Make it the right experience for the people in the room. So it's more experiential learning. Ah, okay, got it. See, the other thing which I always like to ask is, what's your daily schedule like? <laughs> days when you're teaching and days when you're not? What are the things that you do in your role? Uh, absolutely. Look, so a typical day can involve anything from attending meetings where you are, you're, you're taking in, what a client, you know, an upcoming course, a business intervention, a team intervention that a client is looking for. It's about updating, educating, reading a lot, like keeping up to date with what's happening in the real world. What are the latest trends and figures? Understanding what's happening across the company. Um, you know, again, you don't need to go into too much depth, but at least a broad understanding of what's happening around the organization. It, it It's also about a lot of emails, a lot of meetings of replying to queries, coming up with, you know, solutions, putting those solutions together, pitching it back to the client, understanding what the client wants, and then, you know, changing that, requesting support from various other people who, who might have, who, you know, have said that they'll help in a particular area. So for example, if I, if I want to include lean in an upcoming course, again, I'm not the guy who's going to be teaching lean. Who's the right lean expert? Which part of the world are they at? Can I request their help to come and be part of this? So yeah, it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that on non-teaching days. On teaching days, it's it's a lot of 
being prepared, you know, knowing what's coming up, answering questions, communication, you know, just going through the topic. So it's a lot on a teaching day. Again, face-to-face and virtual are very different. So, <laughs> Yes, yes. And I know you have quite a bit of experience in this space and you're doing it for a long time. Have there been, you know, situations where obviously things don't go on track and then you have to get it back on track? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's rare that a course will start and end the way you planned it. It's rare. Most of it, by some way, shape or form, to some extent, goes, as you say, off track. And when that happens, you know, it's, it's quite important that you maintain composure and carry on because the people who are listening to you aren't aware what's gone wrong. So this is a, some of my theater training comes into this. So I do a lot of theater outside of work. But I always tell my actors when I, as a director, that look, the audience does not know the lines. It does not know the script. Unless you tell the audience in some way, shape, form, communication, body language, facial expression, that you've forgotten a line, they won't be aware that something's gone wrong. Your job is just to carry on and to ensure that you're getting through it. And that's what happens in learning and development as well. There's a lot of cross-learning in that, that you can actually go back and keep going. There are people who will, there are individuals in the course, I always say it's a bell curve, again, distribution. There will be individuals who really, really want to learn. There will be individuals who are broadly there to learn. They're not overly enthusiastic nor unenthusiastic. And there will be one or two people in the classroom who are, who have, for whatever reason, shape or form, have been forced to be there. And so they will, you know, they will ensure that they, they show you that they have been forced to be here. So it's it's your job to manage them. And I've had large interventions where we need to, to do that because of participants. There have been physical environmental. One of my colleagues, I remember, she was delivering a course in Indonesia probably about 10 years ago. And there was literally an earthquake during the, during the course. <laughs> so, you know, physical interventions come in, you know, Things change. We've, we've had learning and development courses. We planned out an entire half a day based on a particular module that was requiring some equipment and some tools to be there. And that just didn't turn up. So what are you going to do? You're not going to turn around and tell people, okay, we don't have it. Take half a day off. There's been one particular course. So, you know, I used to travel. Pre-pandemic, I was traveling extremely heavily. I remember I ended up going to Istanbul for a course and I landed, got to the hotel. The course was starting at 8 a.m. in the same hotel. I woke up at 5 a.m. very, very unwell, throwing up. I had been food poisoned from the night before. And we've got 40 people who flew into Istanbul for the course. And the instructor's food poisoned. I was in a hospital on a bed. What are you going to do? So these are things you got to plan. I mean, you can't plan everything, but you gotta you got to know what can be done and what can't be done. Yes, and I hope you recovered soon. <laughs> I did, but the course had to be cancelled after okay. everybody reached. So, but they got to I, see Istanbul and you were They got okay. to see Istanbul. But, uh, you know, you can imagine people are disappointed. They paid money. Their businesses paid money. They yes. landed up and the instructors in the hospital. Completely unavoidable. Right, right. I know, I know. See, you mentioned about your theatre experience and that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask you. So, Talk to us a bit about how your experience outside work, say in theater, has influenced the way you think or approach stuff at work. 
Sure. So I I actually always had a lot of flair for performing art in in school. So I went to modernized school over here in Dubai, or what was what's now called Gems Modern Academy. It was a ICSC ISC school over here, and they did a lot of theater. That really really sparked my interest in the performing arts. And so outside of professional work, I started doing a lot of theater, running community theater groups, and these are people like you and me. Who in the evening don't have enough work to do, and they say, "Let's get together and <laughs> and 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 put up a play, right?" And that could be a contemporary play or a Shakespeare play or whatever it is. But so I bring communities together to actually do that outside of work. And regardless of age, background, nationality, we kind of come together to produce a good piece of theater. And any finances that come from that go back into developing theater, or sometimes go to charitable institutions. Nobody's financially earning from it. but the idea of theater really really propelled my career early on in early days as well my my ex bosses tell me that they saw a lot of leadership qualities that it developed bringing a group of volunteers and delivering on something but these experiences have also helped me become a lot better communicator that's really helped my role in learning and development because that's if i talk about a critical skill in learning and development it's got to be communications and theater really helped me with that it helped me with coming up with creative solutions so a lot of times it's not a traditional solution to a problem sometimes you have to look outside the box and so creative creative thinking creative solutions ideating creatively these are areas that were really really i would say had a positive effect due to the theater work that i did that's so nice and you know for somebody who is thinking of a career in lnd what would be your advice to them So look, career in L and D would need you to have at least some form of subject matter expertise in whichever. So whether you're teaching, you know, earlier I had mentioned whether it's functional skill, whether it's technical learning, whether it's leadership learning, you need to have some form of subject matter expertise. That's important. Depending on the learning and development role you want to get into, you will definitely need communication skills. You you need to be able to facilitate, right? You need to be able to. make things easy so you got to be able to take a complex problem simplify it communicate it in a way that people can understand you and then make it useful so communication skills to me is a top one especially people communication skills face to face body language the impact of these are very very important there's got to be some project management skills you know in 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 terms of planning out a learning course having those right deadlines working with a group of people pulling things together so that project management skills is quite important and then i would say i in my view you need to be able to absorb information from all over so you you need to be a bit like a sponge you're listening to what the organization saying you're listening to what's happening around the world you're 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 constantly either updating or upgrading yourself reading watching absorbing those would be key skills that i would think go into learning and develop and any challenges you think people should be prepared for i think the challenge it's it's not a typical structured 9 to 5 job each course is going to be different so i think people need to be prepared for the fact that if you're looking for some form of i'm not going to say stability but if you're looking for some form of routine l and d is not for you it's it's 
anything but routine no two courses are the same no two experiences are so flexibility if you if you are inflexible that will become a challenge right and if you're not someone who likes to grow yourself academically or absorb knowledge or information or like to either read or watch or listen maybe lnd is not the field right so these are some key definite challenges that will come up that's a fantastic summary gautam and i totally enjoyed the conversation thank you so much for your time today my pleasure is all mine i really enjoyed being here thank you thank you for listening to our podcast if you enjoyed our episode do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode please follow us on linkedin at through the corporate glass and on twitter at corporate glass and share your thoughts we'd love to hear from you you can also check out our website through the corporate glass.com 